Oh, there is, you sing a song like that, and when you finish, if you sing, you're uplifted. And it's not because of the melody. It's not because of the tempo. I can be just as uplifted singing a song like What a Beautiful Name, which is a very quiet song. What happens when we engage with God in praise is it touches our souls. That's why we do it. For God, and you kind of wonder, I do anyway, that why sing out loud? Why speak out loud? I mean, it's not like God can't read your heart, right? I mean, he understands what we're thinking. And yet, to become a Christian, he says, confess with your mouth, not confess in your head. He says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There is something about speaking forth true words. And the opposite is true as well. Speaking forth lies, speaking forth fears, confessing anxiety will have the opposite effect on you that confessing God's word will have. So it's more than just music when we get together here. And we're going to go into a time of prayer shortly, but before we do that, I wanted to give you a testimony. I was not here two weeks ago when Garrett shared God's word. I have heard it, though, and it was a great teaching. I was at a camp, and this camp was on the Holy Spirit, and it was specifically on the six manifestations of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits, which is God revealing information to his people, and then faith, miracles, and healing, which is God bringing his deliverance to people. So we spent the entire camp on that, and it was wonderful. But the final night of the camp, we did a healing service. And so, and I was, I taught that night, so I conducted the healing service, and we had people come forward who wanted to be ministered to, we had people come forward who wanted to learn how to pray for others, and then we had those come forward who were comfortable already, and it was a wonderful time. And we had finished, and we saw some great healings there, we had finished, and I was putting my backpack together, and there was a young man standing there, you know, kind of off to the side, and so I just turned to him, I said, were you waiting for me? And at first he said, well, well, no, not really. Well, actually, yes. And, uh, and, he, and he said, well, what, is there something you'd like me to pray for? And he shared with me that he had had uh, a bad dislocation in his shoulder. And when he had that, they gave him some medication, I guess a pain mediation. And, and uh, although his shoulder, and his shoulder got healed. He was supposed to take over a month. It got healed in four days. However, because of the medication he had been taking... He had an ulcer, and it was very painful for him, and that's what he wanted me to pray for. I said, great. So I took him to you know, an outside room, because at this point, the, the lights are all on, and loud music's playing as people are walking out. So I went off to another room, and the reason I'm sharing this particular testimony is because something happened that I had not experienced before. So he had told me what he was interested in. I put my hands on his shoulder, and I, I began praying for him, and as I did, God showed me a picture of a red ball just shrinking away while I'm, praying, as, while I'm praying and commanding this ulcer to be gone. And I thought that was really cool, but that's not the first time something like that has happened. As you pray for people, God might show you in a variety of ways what is going on in that person. He might give you sympathetic pain, like someone might have a backache, and you're praying, and all of a sudden you get the backache. 
And that's just God showing you what you're doing. So I wanted to share this with him because I knew it would be encouraging if I told him what God showed me as I was praying. So I did, and his eyes went wide. He said, God showed me the exact same thing. That's never happened to me before. Where, I, where God showed me what he was doing, but God gave that person the exact same picture. And that was wonderful. And I said, see, look, God is healing you. He goes, yeah, it still hurts, though. Okay, fine. So I put my hand right where he said it hurt, which was right under here. Uh, he was a guy, so that was easier. Um, if it's a woman, you know what you do? You ask her to put her own hand there. And then, I, and then I'll put my hand on her shoulder. But anyway, that's a side note. So... I just I said, well, we'll take care of that right away. I put my hand where he said the pain was, and I commanded the pain to stop, and it stopped immediately. And it was a wonderful thing. And he was so encouraged at how God had uh, prepared him to be healed. And then, you know, I think one of the great things that God does with revelation is he builds faith in other people. Because if, you know, if Amanda comes to me for prayer, she, she has an idea of what's wrong with her. We don't always know exactly you know, but we have an idea of what's wrong with us. Uh, but for, and if, if God shows me and I'm able to reveal what God showed to me, how much more comforting and engaging that is for the person. They know that God's going to do something now because God, God showed this person what I need. And that's, what, that's uh, one of the great things that Revelation does, not necessarily just to give us information, but to build faith in someone else. So... What I'd like to do now is we're going to have a time of prayer, and Andrew Tangent. Good morning. There's some static, guys. Can you hear that? Good? Okay. Not good. Uh, I think the AV guys are running up here to do the thing that Bob said they were supposed to be doing. It's not static. Oh, there we go. Is it still? St- is it that? Is there static? That gets your static? Yeah. Well, all right. We gotta turn it on. There we go. Check. There we go. There's a lot of issues going on today. Awesome. <coughs> uh, it's great to be back. I sound like I'm about to start singing. You guys, there we go. I don't sing, just to let you know. <coughs> um, it's a blessing to be back. I've been gone for uh, a little bit of time, and it's great to see everyone that uh, that I know. And for those that I don't. Uh, I look forward to meeting you as well. Um, If this is your first time here listening in, uh, thanks so much uh, for being here. Uh, Three kids are a lot of work. Yep, they are. Uh, But especially on a Sunday morning when you're trying to come to church. Um, So in the several months since since we've been gone... uh, God has really been showing me several things in the Word, and I'm, I'm really grateful that Bob and I were able to sync up and, and uh, figure out a day for me to come and, and share with you and teach again. Uh, we're going to co- talk about a couple different things today. 
Don't worry, they're all going to fit together uh, very nicely at the end. Um, but first, it's, rem- it's important to remember that uh, the Word of God is always pro- profitable. Okay? Uh, and it tells us just that in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This includes even the parts of Scripture that are rarely ever talked about, uh, or if they are talked about, they're passed over very quickly. Uh, And there's a lot in the Word that takes years of study to, um, and restudying and looking at translations and different language, root words, all that other stuff, uh, to be able to to put it all together sometimes. And sometimes it can be misused. And become part of a belief structure that is a, a misunderstanding of, of what the word is. And uh, uh, not only just the scripture reference itself, but also the context from which it came from. Uh, so on that, whether you've been in the word for decades or days, chances are that you have heard someone pray for their the hedge of protection around the church. Okay? Or the hedge of protection around the elders or new believers or family members, etc. How many know where that comes from? Show of hands. Bob, Susan, Tim. Okay, so a couple. Okay. Uh, Most people might know where it comes from. Fewer still can talk the specific context or even the um, book that it comes from. So it actually comes from the book of Job. Has anybody read the book of Job in here? A couple of people? Okay. Uh, For those unfamiliar, uh, the book of Job is probably one of the oldest written books ever. Not just in the Bible, but ever. Okay. Uh, And in the first book of Job, it records a conversation between God and Satan where Satan wishes to test Job about his true conviction, about Job's true conviction. So, Job 1, I'll just read it off my notes. Uh, Job 1, 8 to 10. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. That's it. That's the only place in the word where the description of how God protects us is a hedge. No other place in the Word does it talk about that type of of protection. But that's not wrong just because Satan used it to describe it. Okay, that's not what the issue is. um, It's not wrong for Christians to ask God for the hedge of protection. Quite the contrary, really. Um, Satan might have said that, but again, that doesn't mean that it is wrong and it is unbiblical. Uh, how many know what a hedge is? 
Okay, a couple of people. Um, well, a hedge is a boundary formed by closely growing bushes or shrubs, usually thorny. Uh, in other words, a uh, big prickly bush uh, that's really hard to get through and really hard to eradicate. Uh, and has anyone heard the term hedgerow before? Any students of history heard the term hedgerow? Okay, a couple. A hedgerow is a line of hedges. So you plant a bunch of hedges next to each other, and they grow, and they interlock, and they, they form a wall. And can we put that picture up? All right, so this is a picture of a hedgerow. Okay, uh, That's actually in England, but they're used all over the world. Uh, and they've been used for a long time. I mean, clearly a long time if they are used to dis protection by Satan in the first book that's ever recorded and written. So they've been around for a long time. What's great about a hedge is that they are very good and very efficient of creating natural boundaries when stone or wood is either impractical or impossible to use for your boundaries. Hedges grow very tight and uh, so tight that it can be difficult to pass through, like I said. And if they're thorny, they can be really deadly. And they make fantastic boundaries for property, especially like you can see here where these, these sheep are. Okay? That's keeping those sheep in that field. Right? And it's keeping the wolves and the lions and the tigers on the other side of it. Which is interesting because in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So it makes sense that Satan knows that God plants these hedgerows around him as a form of protection. Satan might be a lot of things, but bad at his profession, he is not. Okay, And also, he is not stupid. And he might not know 90% of what God is planning to do, but he's been engaged in combat with the Lord Almighty for 99.999 infinity uh, percent of all of history. So he knows what type of protection there is for us. He knows that. So him commenting on uh, the hedge of protection makes sense. He would know that. So what is the issue with praying for the hedge of protection? Well, any student of history can tell you that uh, multiple battles and wars and conflicts have been won in hedgerows. And the most famous of this is World War II. Now, I know that I just said that hedges are very difficult to pass through and they keep things out. So how can, how can it be that it is a deciding thing in a battle? Well, you have to understand the difference between cover and concealment. How many people understand the difference between cover and concealment? Okay, there's like four. Okay. The military and, and law enforcement definition of cover and concealment, can we put cover up there? There you go. Cover is anything that gives protection from fragments, projectiles, fire, basically anything that can cause you harm. Concealment, by contrast is anything that hides you from the enemy's observations but does not protect you from enemy fire. Does that make sense? Okay. That's exactly what a hedgerow is. 
It's exactly what a hedgerow is. It protects you via concealment from the adversary's plans of attack for you. Stated slightly differently, the adversary doesn't know where to aim specifically for you, but he can still shoot those said arrows into the hedgerow, and every once in a while he's going to get really lucky and hit you. And Sometimes it's going to be a really, really bad hit. Okay. So why is that important? Well, that means that once you've been born again, you have protection, but it is not impenetrable penetration. I'm sorry, protection. Which is why there are so many believers who are still tempted to sin and who do sin even after they have been born again. Who are not living the life of a disciple and who are not living a more abundant life. It's because they... they focus on things that are not supposed to be focused on. And the entirety of the word, the entirety of this, is an instruction manual on how to be righteous and holy, how to be set apart, how to be saved, to have a relationship with God. And not just any relationship, a father-son, father-daughter relationship. And that takes work, and that takes practice, period. Relationships take work, period. I have a father and a father-in-law. They're both here today, okay? I have many friends who are here today, and I talk to them all the time. That takes work. I didn't start a relationship with people and didn't do anything, and the relationship grew exponentially and everything is fine and dandy. That's not how relationships work and that's not how it works with your Heavenly Father. And every relationship that you put no effort into is strained at best. Okay? It's the same with your Heavenly Father. And further, there are so many Christians who take the point of view of, oh, I'm saved, period, end of story. It's not the end of the story. Not by a long shot. God has so much for you to do with and for him. Because it's a father-son, father-daughter relationship. He wants you to do things. He wants to help you do things. He wants to work with you to do it. And not only that, but God did not have a desire to save us only to have us walled off from the world. Okay, that's what a hedge is, that hedge picture that you saw. You're walled off from a world when you're in a hedge. Quite the contrary, he wants us to be more than conquerors. Okay, Everybody familiar with that phrase, more than conquerors? Everybody know where that comes from? We're going to take a look at it. Okay, Romans 8.37 says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All these things, by the way, are summing up all of the things that you will go through on your walk. You need to read, if you want to go do this yourself, and I highly suggest that you do, read everything that comes before this. Okay? There's a, it's like 10 verses of all of the horrible things that you can possibly go through. Okay? Uh, and they're not pretty. They're not, and they're not easy. 
Okay, it's not an it's not an easy thing. If you want the easy thing, that's the way of the world to just go with the flow. And guess what? The adversary's surely going to be targeting you because once you put yourself out there in the fight for God, he will work to stop you in every way. Okay, so all right, this morning I've told you that one of the number one things Christians pray for was actually stated by Satan. And not only that, but it's penetrable, and he can occasionally hit you pretty good even through that hedge. So where do we go from here? Well, before we go to that point, everybody realize that I've been using a lot of military terms. Everybody notice that? I am a veteran, by the way. Uh, military terms are very easy to, for me. I don't tend to use them in my teachings, but today I am because God that's where God uh, directed me. Uh, that's because we're engaged in combat with the enemy. Everybody knew that? Everybody? If you didn't, welcome to Grace Christian. You just enlisted. We're engaged in a conflict uh, constantly with the adversary and his minions. And his goal is to seek, kill, and destroy but also to dissuade, confuse, contradict, and diminish. His whole goal at this point is sabotage. He knows where he's going to end up, and he knows that he lost humanity when he let Christ be crucified. He knows that now. The only thing left is to cause as much destruction and harm on the people and children of God as he can and postpone the work that God needs to be accomplished. That's literally his goal. That's literally his ministry. That's, well, it's not a ministry. That's literally his goal. And there are tasks for each and every person to do, something that God has preordained since the foundations of the earth, since before the foundations of the earth. And God wants to see it happen. The adversary doesn't. He doesn't need to worry about the people who are not saved. He doesn't. Those people will be their own undoing. He doesn't need to tempt them either. Who do you think that, I mean, by way of example, who do you think the adversary was tempting more? Christ or Caiaphas? Who do you think? Right? Christ. Yeah. And it actually, it actually says that. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet do not sin. Christ was tempted in every way. Every way. Every way that we're tempted, every way that everybody before us was tempted, every way that everybody after us will be tempted. And yet he didn't sin. All Caiaphas needed was pride and fear. I mean, that's all he needed. He looked at Christ and was like, I know that I can still be in charge, even with this guy, and I'm fearful that if this guy keeps running his mouth, I'm going to lose my power. That's it. That's all he needed. I just look at the world today and all the things that are occurring in it. There are people who are not agents of the adversary who are professing all sorts of evil. The adversary didn't necessarily do anything to him. 
That's the natural course of human humanity without God. That's what we are. That's what we were saved from when we became born again, that natural progression of humanity. I, I mean, think about it. The adversary owns the world. He owns it. His corruption courses through it, so he doesn't have to do anything. His corruption is already there. It's breeding and, and, and evolving and changing and trying to pull people down. Everything was lost when, when Adam sinned. I mean, you don't even need to turn on the nightly news to, to find out how bad humanity can get. I mean, in the, in the Bible itself, remember this is an instruction manual on how we are to live. There are tons of examples in here of when humans are left to their own devices, what they end up doing. It's in here. It's, I mean, the whole Old, Old Testament is filled with that. There are entire books of prophets who are explaining to the children of Israel all of the not godly things that they've been doing. So how can we protect against the adversary? Anybody think they know? Anybody? Bob knows. He took a peek at my teaching before we got started. All right, a couple other hands. Um, well, we're engaged in a war, right? So we should train and outfit ourselves like warriors, Think there's something in the word that uh, that talks about that? Yep, it's called the whole armor of God. Who's familiar with that? Whole armor of God. All right, most hands. All right, so whole armor of God comes from Ephesians chapter six. All right, verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in strength in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might, or you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt, of, the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in, my opening, in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly, and I ought to speak. So first it's important to distinguish something about this area of scripture. So many Christians read, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces and heavenly places, as to read that there is no need for physical protection. 
or any reason to be involved in the world. Usually that happens to be a Western thought. Western Christians who are surrounded by all the comforts of the Western world. I would be willing to bet that an Iraqi Christian girl would not say the same thing. It also ignores Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, uh, which says, And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we face three enemies in this war. The world, our flesh, and the adversary. In some cases, all three of them will be interwoven, and it's difficult to tell them apart. Since the fall in the garden, the devil has tried to bait us with false teachings, luring us into sin, uh, and turn us against each other. I mean, there are tons of examples of each and every one of those things that we could literally spend an hour up here discussing how you can point to the point where people were blinded by the adversary. Some of us actually in this room have been hurt by those decisions. He does this to keep us from glorifying God and in doing our great commission. And he seeks to devour us so that we can no longer be a light in this lost world. He wants us to mess up and fall into sin, to give up, get discouraged, get puffed up and arrogant, be divided and quit. That's what he wants. And also as a point of reference, many great leaders and teachers over the last 40 to 60 years in the faith uh, were pacifists. And there's nothing wrong with that by nature to be a pacifist. Okay? Uh, the issue is, is it's called the whole armor of God. And there are a lot of teachers out there who have changed it from the whole armor of God to sports analogies. They've taken each and every one of the pieces of the armor and they've changed it to sports analogies. If you don't believe me, that actually happened. We can talk about it afterwards. The issue with that is that it takes the, the importance of that scripture away and literally it sucks the importance of it. Uh, it makes it more gladiatorial uh, instead of a battle that is waged. Does anybody know the difference between uh, a gladiator and a warrior? Okay, a couple of people. Uh, gladiators will always claim to be warriors, but warriors will never claim to be gladiators. Gladi gladiators are performers. They perform in an arena. Warriors are not. And warriors, regardless of culture, all tend to live, live by a similar ethos. You can look at every single warrior ethos in the world, and it all forms very closely and, and succinctly together. And it's, it's a, an ethos that embodies courage and honor and loyalty and selflessness. Each and every one of those qualities are in this word and are directions for us to do. 
And as warriors, we have the full armor of God. Okay? So we're going to go through each and every piece. So the first piece mentioned is a belt of truth fastened. When you were to put on your kit, you need your belt to be fastened. In Paul's day, uh, this was to perfect, uh, protect the soldier's loins, okay, uh, and help carrying, carry his weapons of warfare uh, to take the load off of his back and off of his arms. That's what the belt was for. Uh, and having truth as your, as your belt means that having the truth of the word firmly as your foundation. This is actually the foundation of humanity. It's not our, it's not our feet. And anyone who exercises or has been in sports who has been active will tell you that your core is one of the most important things that you need. So having the belt of truth around your core, around your, your center, is really important because that as your foundation and as your integrity as a Christian is secured. Second is the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, quite literally, righteousness means the one who is right. It also means the opposite of sin. Being holy unto God and obeying him uh, and his instructions. And the example that we have is Christ. He was perfect in, our, in righteousness. He's our example. He's the one we should follow in righteousness. Third are the boots. Okay, Boots, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, In other words, the good news of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, and the instruction that Christ provided while he was on his earthly ministry. Many people will say that it is the, the boots are the gospel, but that's not actually what it says. It says the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, the knowledge of what Christ did and went through for us to save us. Fourth is the shield of faith, uh, from which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, we could literally do a whole teaching on just all the, the chapters and verses that discuss faith. Um, that is absolutely important to have faith. Okay, faith is believing in the things unseen. Okay, God and, and all the stuff Christ went through, and and the fact that God is uh, Christ is risen. It's so important that I mean your faith can literally move mountains, and when you have it as your shield. Right When you're standing there with it as your shield, nothing that Satan throws at you can penetrate. Fifth is the helmet of salvation. Okay, This is the last piece of armor for a reason. And whether it was Roman times or it's modern warfare, the last piece of your kit when you're getting ready to go do work is putting on your helmet. Okay, The reason is if you don't have your head protected, the rest of the armor is useless. Okay? Uh, and, and part of that, having your head protected from taking those blows, is going, it, it, you, if you don't have your helmet on, rather, you're not going to be able to protect from those blows, and you're not going to be able to do what needs to be done without that helmet. And it's the helmet of salvation because your helmet, your, your head protection, needs to be knowing that you are saved and delivered because that is one of the most important tools that a Christian has as they walk through this world. And it's a gift from God that can't be stripped away from you. Every other type of helmet can be pulled off 
And those blows can be rained down on you. The helmet of salvation cannot be stripped away. Finally, and the most important piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, your Bible. Why is this the most important? Well, primarily it's the Word of God, right? So that makes sense. It's the Word of God that should be the most important thing. Second, it's your primary weapon, okay? So whether it was Roman legions or today's warfare, when you would go out, you would have a primary, a secondary, tertiary weapon as you're going into battle, okay? This is your primary. And what makes this weapon better than any other weapon that has ever been is that it's the only weapon that you do not need to clean or repair. Okay? Uh, I say that lightly, but in in reality, uh, a typical weapon has to be serviced, it has to be clean, it has to be oiled, it has to be has to be sharpened and refurbished and repaired, and there's tons of work that goes into it. The word is the only one that is perfect from the moment you receive it. And it's going to be perfect for your entire life. And even more, it's the only weapon that services, cleans, oils, sharpens, repairs, and refurbishes you. Pretty cool, right? That's that's our weapon. That is that is the weapon in our in our war. That's our primary weapon. So why did I start off with a hedge of protection and end with the whole armor of God? Well, God doesn't want us to hide behind walls. Okay, uh, He wants us to go out and salt the salt the earth. Okay, uh, we are to be a light under the world sharing the good news and spreading the good news. And we can't do that when we believe that we need to sit behind a hedge without really doing anything, right? And there are tons of Christians who believe, I don't need to get involved in the world. I'm just going to sit down right here and not do anything. Got the hedge of protection around me. Even though the adversary can still reach you, there are tons of Christians who believe that all they need to do is sit behind the hedge. That's it. That's all they need to do. Uh, the issue with that is, and I'm sure that I could talk to each and every one of you here, uh, the adversary has hit you. It's been hard, and it's been painful, and it's broken you. Right? It's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's happened to everybody for the last two millennia. Christ's earthly ministry. In warfare, those who hide behind berms and hedges or other concealment tend not to make it very far. And the same is true in the spiritual battle. And that's absolutely spiritual in nature, and it's absolutely physical as well. There are things in this world that you are called to do, each and every one of you, okay? Uh, but some of us don't want to leave the comfort of our hedge. We got our hedge. We're good. Ships are safe in harbors, but that's not what they're there for, right? Ships are designed to go out to sea. 
where it is unsafe. Just like you. You were not called to sit simply idly by. And Paul, who called the Ephesians to stand, sought their prayer so he could keep proclaiming the gospel, so that he could keep going out in the world and doing the work boldly, even if he was imprisoned. His own standing meant that he would faithfully evangelize even if the war cost him his life, which it did. We put on the full armor of God so not so that we can defend ourselves, but so that we can march into the enemy's kingdom to do the work of the Great Commission. Get out from behind your hedge, okay? And do the things that God has called you to do without fear, being bold, and being equipped with the gifts that God has given you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and for the fellowship that we have. Bless the teachers, elders, leaders, and laborers. Guide them in their decisions for this church. May those here today be blessed with strength and courage, walking out of this place with no fear, ready and prepared to be more than conquerors. May we salt the earth with each step that we take. Let us always equip ourselves with your complete armor so that the adversary's advances on us are ineffective and defeated. May we learn from your word and strive to be men and women after your own heart. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.